be my friend. Good morning. It's great to be with all of you this morning. I just want to say before I dive into the message this morning again, just what a great day yesterday was at Toby and Marsha's house for the baptism. Uh, baptized almost, yeah, yeah. Baptized just shy of 30 people, and I think there was around 100 we counted that were there to uh, watch, and it was just a great day. And I do just appreciate Toby and Marsha opening up their home to us for that. Uh, one other reminder I want to share before the message, and that is, you know, we're coming in now. Tomorrow is November the 1st. So we're coming into the holiday season. So uh, we need a group of people who are willing to come on Friday morning, November the 26th at 9 a.m. here at the church to get out some of our Christmas decorations. That's Friday, November the 26th at 9 a.m. We always seem to have lots of gals that show up, but we also need some men to show up as well, okay? So ladies and gentlemen, Friday, November the 26th at 9 a.m., if you could help us out, we would greatly appreciate that. Job chapter 38 and 39 this morning. Before I even begin, let, let me say this. My one goal today in this message or through this message is that all of us leave here today with a higher view of God than what we came in here with. That our concept of God is increased. For those of you that are watching from your homes this morning, I hope for the same thing, that when you turn off our live stream, that your view of God and your concept of God is higher than maybe it's ever been, because that's really what these next few weeks are all about. These last five chapters of Job, 38 through 42, are the climax of the book. And finally, beginning in chapter 38, God begins to speak into the anguish of Job and what he's dealing with. For 37 chapters, we don't know how many days, weeks, or months, God has been silent. And now God finally speaks. But what he speaks about is so unlike what Job thought he was going to receive if God did choose to speak to him. God wants Job and wants us to realize that he, God, is greater than so far we ever conceived him to be. And that's where I want to start this morning, just thinking about the greatness of God. We've sung about it in our worship. I want us to see it from the word of God. You see, God hasn't made any sense to Job so far. First of all, God declares in chapter 1 that Job may be one of the most godly people on earth. And yet God allows terrible suffering and pain to come into Job's life. Job has lost everything materially that he ever had. Job lost all 10 of his children in one day. 
Job has been inflicted by some terrible, uh, terrible and painful disease. Job has went from, in a sense, the top all the way to the bottom where we find him way back in chapter 3, scraping the sores off of his body with shards of pottery as he's sitting in the landfill outside of his community. This is how far Job has fallen. Job is finding very little support. God is not only silent, but his wife has come into the drama and told him to curse God and die. His friends who sat with him quietly and silently for a week started to open up their mouth, and now all they're doing is judging him and criticizing him because in their theological framework, goodness is always rewarded and sinfulness is always punished, and therefore because Job is suffering so terribly, he must be the worst sinner that's ever lived. And so Job is just receiving and absorbing all of this, and all he's asking for is God. Say something. Give me some kind of understanding into what's happening to me. That's all I ask. And God begins to speak in chapter 38. But here's what God does so differently than what Job and maybe you and I would imagine God did. Job never answers all of the why questions that Job had. Because as we said last week, knowing God is more important than knowing why. And what God is going to do today for Job and for all of us is God is going to hopefully reveal more of himself to us so that our view of God becomes greater and higher. And God does that so that that basically if we live under that kind of a worshipful cloud, if you will, of God, that all of our questions then are answered under that umbrella, if you will. God doesn't need to answer all the individual why questions or why not questions. They are all answered under our high view and high concept of God because many times, as we've said, even if God chose to answer our questions, we couldn't really wrap our minds totally around it anyway. Because God sees the interrelationships of every living thing in his universe. And you and I just don't have the, the brain power, if you will, uh, to be able to absorb all of that. How everything in the universe is interrelated to everything else. So notice. In chapter 38, verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Why does he come in a storm? Well, I think because he's reminding Job, I'm in this storm that you're in with you, but also I want you to know, Job, as he even appeared to Moses and other people, that I am an awe-inspiring, impressive God. I'm greater than you've ever imagined me to be. I'm greater than your mind has so far conceived of me to be. And I need you to understand that. In fact, in verse 2, notice God says, who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Basically, all that God has been hearing from Job and his friends, 
They thought they knew more than what they really did. So Job is basically told in verse 3, put on your big boy pants, Job. Get ready for a difficult task like a man because I'm actually going to start asking you questions and you tell me the answers. And for the next two chapters, chapter 38 and 39, God basically asked Job 50 questions, all of which God knows the answers to. And Job knows not one. And you and I would be in the same boat as Job. Every one of these questions, none of us as human beings can answer. But God has the answer for it. Let me just share a couple examples with you. Look at verse 4. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess understanding. Oh, verse 5, who set its measurements? If you know or stretched a measuring line across it. Uh, verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning or made the dawn to know its place? By the way, in light of that verse, I, I try to remind myself, have I ever lost sleep at night worried about the sun not coming up in the morning? No. Why is that? Because I know God's got it. Think about that. All the stuff that God knows and God does that we don't even think about and we couldn't even do. Look at verse 18. Have you considered the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know it all. God is reminding Job that he is great and certainly worthy of praise and that no one can truly fathom his greatness. God is beyond our grasp. That's why we said at the very beginning of this, this is why it's a worship series, because one of the things that should be part of our worship is a growing and greater concept and view of God as we move through our life. A God small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshiped. Look at verse 24 of chapter 38. In what direction, God says to Job, is lightning dispersed or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who carves out a channel for the heavy rains and a path for the rumble of thunder? Job, can you command and control the weather? I don't think so. You don't even know how it all works. We think about how great the world that we even know, and there's so much that we don't know about the world or the universe, and yet everything in it dwarfs in comparison to the greatness of God. God is master over the complexity, the intricacy, and the vastness of the universe that he created. Think about that. You and I don't even know how big the universe that God created is, and yet you put the whole universe next to God, and God dwarfs the universe. And that God is the one who, beyond even the galaxies and whatever that we can behold and take in, he controls all of the complexity, intricacies, and vastness of it every second of every day. Keep your finger in Job, but go over with me to the prophet Isaiah. Some good verses in Isaiah chapter 40 that speak about the greatness of God. 
Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah writes, God is the one, verse 22, who sits on the earth's horizon. By the way, if people would have truly believed the Bible, we wouldn't have had so long to figure out that the earth isn't flat. God said a long time before man figured out that the earth wasn't flat, that the earth isn't flat. If we just listen to God more, we think we know more than God does. Notice, its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. He is the one who stretches out the sky like a thin curtain and spreads it out like a pitched tent. Look at verse 25. God says, to whom can you compare me? Whom do I resemble? God transcends all of creation. He is the holy one, or literally the holy other one. That's what holy means. He is unlike anything else in creation. There's everything that God created, including you and I, and then there's God. God is the uncreated. He is the holy other one outside of everything else, totally distinct from everything and everyone. God says in verse 26, look up at the sky. And by the way, out where I live in Gold Canyon in that dark sky, some nights I go out there and I look up and, and you, can't even, you can't even see space between the stars. There's so many of them. And as we sung about, God knows them all by name, and that's exactly what Isaiah says. Who created all these heavenly lights? He is the one who leads out their ranks and calls them all by name. Because of his absolute power and awesome strength, not one of them is missing. It is estimated by the smartest people that we know that there's around 100 million stars out there. That's our best guess. God knows exactly how many stars there are. And then beyond that, they estimate that there's 100 million galaxies beyond our stars. And then you even think about the distances. The clearest star to us is Polaris, the North Star. And even though that light from that star travels at 186,000 miles an hour, the light that you and I see from the North Star today started 350 years ago to come from there to here. So you think about it. What light we are seeing from the North Star today left the North Star in 1770 or something like that? That's how far away it is. And yet, that's nothing to God. That's what God's trying to say to Job. He's trying to say, Job, look at all that I have created. Look at the fact that I'm involved in all of it every day. See, God wants to create in all of us a continual consciousness within us that he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. In fact, much of his creation in universe, like I said, we don't even think about it. It doesn't even enter our minds to be fretting every night we go to bed. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You think the sun will come up tomorrow? No. 
Because we go, God's got that. And yet the details and, and trials and challenges and, and all of that of our life, it's like we have a hard time trusting him with that when he's got the whole universe that he's taking care of. And that's why God is approaching Job this way. He wants, first of all, for Job to begin to understand that his God is greater than he could ever conceive him to be. But there's something else in these two chapters that God is doing. He wants to humble Job as well as humble every human being. He wants us to realize that man is smaller than we make him out to be. God is greater than many times we think he is and that man is smaller than we make him out to be. Now, God is not saying we're insignificant to him, that we are not of value to him. Far from it. As Nicole pointed out, he loved us enough to die for us. That's very significant. But God is still saying there's a lot of pride in man. Man always thinks he knows more than what he does. And if you and I are going to develop and maintain a heart of worship, our view of God not only has to be greater, but our view of ourselves has to be put in its proper place. We have to make sure that we don't think more of ourselves or more of human beings than we should. And that's why also God is asking Job all these questions. Because he wants Job and all of us to get to a place where we realize we're too small to understand all the ways of God. In fact, can I tell you something I appreciate about God? And this is why we see this in people, because we're all created in the image of God. God has a sense of humor. God even has a little sarcasm in him. Because I want you to see something that God says to Job after he asks him all these questions that basically leaves Job's mouth gaping. God asks this question, or makes this statement in verse 21 of Job 38. Look at it with me. He says, oh, but Job, you know all this, right? For you were born before all this happened, right? And the number of your days is great. Like, you know, Job, you, you've been around so long, you, you've got this all figured out, right? No, not really. I have none of it figured out. See, until Job realizes how small he is in the face of all that God has created, much less alone in the presence of the God who dwarfs this creation, then he's not at the point where God wants him or all of us to be. We need to make sure that we walk humbly with our God. That's what the prophet Micah said. He said, God has shown you what you should do and what you should be. You should do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That we as human beings should always know our rightful place and know God's place. In fact, think about it. There are times in our life and places that we go that really do 
sort of put us in that place, right? Think about that time you stood before the ocean for the first time and just looked out at the expanse of the ocean. Made you feel sort of small, right? Not insignificant, not of no value, but like, wow. Or how about, you know, going up to the Grand Canyon and looking at that for the first time and going, wow, you know. Or like they're standing under a starry sky and looking up and just seeing the millions of stars and realizing, wow, I'm, I'm just this one little person and look at all of this. And God made it all. And yet, at the same time, sort of the flip side of that is, even though God dwarfs his creation and creation is so great and we're so small, God knows you. God loves you. And God knows you by your name and knows every detail of your life because the God who made everything from the biggest to the smallest made you too. And the reason why that needs to be, we need to be reminded of that is because God is saying, if you trust me to care for this vast universe that is way beyond your pay grade to be able to keep up with, then why do you not trust me to take care of you even when you don't understand what I'm doing or my ways because let's face it God is saying to Job and to us you don't understand how I run the universe every day either but you live in it in fact I want to just give a quick sort of tour for us through chapter 38 and 39 for just a moment we won't spend a lot of time here God basically divides up his creation into the inanimate creation and the animate creation. I'd like to point this out and, and tell you why does God do this? It is not only to remind Job that he is greater than Job could ever conceive him to be and to remind Job that maybe man is smaller than we think he is, but he's also going to remind us that much of what God does in his work every day is imperceptible to us. We don't see it. And yet we know, obviously, that he's out there at work in everything that he does. If you go back to chapter 38, verse 4, the first thing in the inanimate creation is the foundations of the earth. Then if you go down to verse 8, it is the limits of the sea. Then if you go over to verse 22, it is the storehouses of snow. And then if you go over to chapter 38, verse 31, it's the constellations. Pleiades and Orion are the two that God specifically mentions here, or the bear in verse 32. But then God begins to talk about the animate creation. Notice in verse 39 of chapter 38, he talks about the lions. And then in verse, chapter 39, verse 1, the mountain goats. And then in verse 5 of chapter 39, the wild donkey. And then in verse 9 of chapter 39, the wild ox. Then in chapter 39, 13, the ostrich. Chapter 39, 19, the horse. And finally, in verses 26 and 27, 
the birds of prey, the hawk and the eagle. By the way, before we get to my point, I, I want to point this out. God's sense of humor. God's talking about the ostrich and how he made the ostrich in chapter 39, 13 through 18. And basically God says there, verse 17, I didn't make her or him very smart. They're not one of the sharpest animals out there. I mean, God's saying this about one of the animals that he created because he says she leaves her eggs on the ground. That's pretty dumb because predators can get to them and people can tramp on them. She's just not very smart. But God understands what? But I made her that way. I'm the one that deprived the ostrich of its wisdom. So she's not the smartest of animals that I created. God even understands that. See? But why does God give Job in these two chapters this survey of his creation and divides it up into the inanimate and animate creation. Well, there's more going on here than just God asserting his power and his wisdom. What is it that ties together the examples of the inanimate creation and animate creation? It is this. In all these examples, God is at work even though this work is inaccessible to human observation. Let me repeat that. God is at work even though his work is inaccessible to human observation. That's why you'll notice in the animate creation, he didn't talk about the domesticated animals. He talked about the wild animals that are out there that we don't even notice are out there every day in the forests and, you know, the inaccessible places. God is saying in all of these instances, I am intimately involved in the sustenance of my creation, and yet none of us sees God at work. We don't keep track of all the animals out there that we can't see, that God is making sure has enough food and all of that every day. We don't quantify that or calculate that in our minds, and yet God is sustaining and feeding his creation. The mountain goats, the wild donkeys, the wild oxes, all of that. What the Lord wants Job to understand is that just because Job cannot perceive that God is at work doesn't mean that God is not at work. And if God is at work in all these other areas where Job cannot see it, then just maybe God is at work in his life even though he cannot see it or perceive it. And the same thing is true for you and I. Many times it's like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Exactly. We're not going to understand everything. But we can know, ah, oh, but you know what? I know God's at work keeping this universe together every day getting the sun up every morning and putting the moon out every night and taking care of all the animals. And I don't even think about that. That doesn't even come into my purview every day. I don't sit around and fret, God, you know, are you taking care of everything in the universe that you created? I don't even give that a thought. Because if you're like me, it's pretty self, you know, that's my view. It's like, God, I just want to make sure you're taking care of me. And God's like, well, Jeff, yeah, I'm taking care of you too because you're part of everything that I created and I'm taking care of it all. 
you don't see me taking care of it all, but I am. And that's where God wants to get all of us to, to that place in our life where we realize, wow, God, you're so much bigger and greater than I could ever imagine. You literally take care of the greatest of your creations, the, the gigantic stars in the universe and planets, all the way down to the tiniest ant or flea or microscopic insect that crawls across the ground. You watch over it all. And I think I know way more than what I do. And I need to realize, God, that just like Job in chapter 40, verse 4, I am way out of my league. Basically, we're going to get to this next week, but after God asks all these 50 questions and Job doesn't have an answer for it, he puts his hand over his mouth. Can I tell you, I think that's maybe one of the most worshipful things you and I can do at times, is just go, you know what? I just need to keep my mouth shut. Because I think I know more than what I really do. And all I'm doing when I'm speaking is showing my ignorance before God. Because God knows it all. And again, God's not doing this to Job or to us to be cruel. He's simply saying, life will go so much better for you when you get a higher view of me and a proper view of you. And you realize that I'm always at work, whether you see it or not. With that said, would you go over with me to the Gospel of Matthew and we'll end our time in God's Word this morning there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Because what Jesus says in this passage is basically picking up the same principle that God is speaking to Job about back in Job 38 and 39. It deals with God being trusted to take care of his creation. And you and I are part of that creation. Notice what Jesus says to his followers beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and is tomorrow tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry, saying what we will eat or drink or what we will wear, for the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Three things I'd like to implant in our minds this morning. From this passage. One, verse 27. There is no need to worry because it doesn't help. 
Jesus says. In fact, it might even take some years off your life rather than add to your life, if you were. Second, there is no need to worry, verse 32, because God knows what we need. And God is saying, you look out at creation, my Father makes sure that the animals are fed every day, that the flowers are taken care of every day, that the grass of the field is taken care of. Aren't you more valuable than they are to God? Yes. Then why don't you trust God to take care of you? And then finally, verse 25 and verse 33, there's no need to worry because what we really need more than anything else is God. Isn't there more to life than what we get caught up in? And that's why then God says, above all, pursue God and his kingdom. You see, when we, in our worship of God, put God in his rightful place, and our view of God and our concept of God just continually increases, everything else then can be settled in our life. What you and I need more than anything else is a greater appreciation, a greater admiration, and a greater adoration of our God. That's what we really need. And when you and I develop that kind of heart of worship for God, then the struggles and the suffering and the pain and the worries and the cares and the stresses and the anxiety can all be placed under the greatness of our God. Because we've come to a place where we go, you know what? I'm not going to understand everything. In fact, as a human being compared to my God, I'm going to understand very little. But what I can understand is this. I can begin to understand and fathom how great he is. And I can begin to see that, oh my goodness, if my God can create this universe that I can't even begin to understand how great and big it is, and if my God takes care of his universe every day from the smallest of animals to the largest of animals and everything in between to the stars and the universes out there, then I can trust my God to take care of me even when I don't understand what's happening to me and why God is allowing it. And that's why when God began to speak into Job's anguish, he didn't answer all the why questions. He simply gave Job a greater revelation of himself so that Job would go, wow, God, you're even greater than I could imagine, and I know I can trust you. That's where God wants us to get to today. Will we trust God in all of our circumstances because we've come to understand there is no one greater than God. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Would you stand with me in prayer? Father, we come to you today and we stand before a God that is greater than we could ever conceive of you to be.
God, we do not have the ability as finite human beings to be able to totally absorb or comprehend your greatness. But you have given us a mind to be able to understand and comprehend some of it. And Lord, even what we can conceive, it just humbles us, God, to think of how great you are. That as big as this universe is, you created it. Therefore, you dwarf your entire creation. That's how great and big you are. And Lord, though we don't ever think about it, Lord, you diligently take care of everything in this universe that you created every day. There's not a day that goes by, God, that you're not making sure that the animals have everything that they need to continue to exist. And God, if you care for your animals that way, and we're of greater value to you than they are, God, can we not trust you to take care of us even when we don't understand what's going on in our life and why you're allowing it? That your purposes are way beyond our understanding, God. And that we have to get to a place, Lord, where we are settled in you and we rest in your greatness. Would you help us to do that today, God? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the invitation today. Here's the encouragement today. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your circumstances, your particular situation is, what trial, what suffering, what anxiety, what worry, what care, what concern is on your heart and mind today. But what I want to encourage you to do today is this, to take whatever that is and to place it under the greatness of our God and to be settled in him, knowing that if he's this amazing, if he's this great, then I can be settled underneath that greatness. So I'm just going to ask you to bring whatever it is that's got you maybe upset, losing sleep, anxious, worried, all of that care, and would you bring it today under the greatness of our God as we sing, How Great Thou Art.